Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to your favorite chill Kansas State House podcast. I'm Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal's state government team, and I am joined by Jason Tidd, my better half. Jason, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. It's a Friday afternoon as we record this. Uh, I believe it will be a Monday morning when you hear it, but... I'm about to enjoy a nice long holiday weekend. It's been a busy week, so I think the break is well deserved. And oh man, I the Kansas legislature's back in session and I forgot how tiring it is. <laughs> we we are joined by our good friend, friend of the podcast, the Associated Press, John Hanna. John how Hello, are you? Andrew. I'm doing just fine. It is a, a Friday afternoon, and so we are looking forward to a long Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend. Um, and uh, after a busy first week of the legislative session, it's always a, uh, a little busy this first week. Well, a lot going on. We have, we have the ceremonial start, which there's not a lot of uh, substance there, but it's, it's fun for the people living out there. Their West Wing fantasies, I suppose, and, and the drama and, and ceremony of it all. But Tuesday is really where the rubber begins to meet the road, and we had Governor Laura Kelly's fourth State of the State address. And this one, John, it's it was a long one, but there was a lot in there, or there was some stuff in there to discuss. Anyway, what what was interesting was over the past. Uh, this was kind of a throwback speech, I would say. Before 20 years ago, they tended to be about as long as this one was, which uh, I clocked it at 49 minutes. Um, But then starting around 2002 or so, maybe even a little before that, governors decided to shorten them generally somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes so that they did better on television in terms of the length. And... Way, way back, the governor used to give the speech at noon um, and not on television. So uh, so this was a bit of a departure from recent practice. But yes, a lot of it was um, her reciting what she feels the accomplishments of her administration are, how she believes Kansas is on the rebound. Uh, as well as taking a look at some, you know, previewing some of her legislative initiatives, a few of which we've seen before. Uh, very clearly, uh, she was previewing uh, some major, what are likely to be some major themes of her reelection campaign. Some Republicans even said it was basically a campaign speech. 
uh, well, Ty, Senate President Ty Masterson said he didn't blame her. I think his comment was, if it was my election year, I'd be in campaign mode too. So, um, Well, notably, it is not his election year. That's two years from now. Yes. Um, well, Jason, one of the big things is something you spent a fair amount of time reporting on, which is not new, but I think still relevant to the conversation, and that's the governor's plan or governor's proposal to reduce uh, the state, eliminate the state sales tax on food. Uh, uh, the, the Kansas is one of only a handful of states that taxes groceries in the first place, and one of even a smaller subset of states that taxes it at the full state sales tax rate, 6.5%. There's been bipartisan bipartisan support for reducing or eliminating that, uh, but they haven't been able to get it done in past years, and this year might be the year. Uh, both Governor Kelly and her presumptive uh, gubernatorial rifle, Derek Schmidt, have come out in support of it. The, the governor has said that she wants a clean bill. So how far is she willing to compromise on that? Well, and I think we've seen in the past, once you start putting tax policies inside of other tax policies, it's like a Russian nestling Russian nestling doll of tax policies. And it it just is. And this is why it's the it's been vetoed in the past, right? It, it's gotten bogged down in other more controversial issues and just hasn't really uh, balanced out to the point where the governor would be interested in signing a bill that it, hit her desk. It, and as... Minority leader Tom Sawyer pointed out he campaigned on this in the 90s. So this issue has been around as long as I've been alive. Um, yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say to that. That is, that is quite accurate. I mean, this goes at least back to the Graves administration, and which we're talking 1994 to 2002 there was some discussion uh bill graves always argued that he didn't want to cut the sales tax on food because then the tax relief would go to people wealthy people who didn't necessarily need it that's always been one argument what we have been hearing as reporters from Republican legislators is that there's some interest in taking a look at the entire sales tax generally on all consumer goods and maybe lowering that. What's always caused the issue not to go very far is the cost of doing it in terms of the revenue you give up. It looks like it's about $445, $450 million a year just to do away uh, with the the state sales tax on groceries completely. And that in the past, I mean, the bills that the governor vetoed, I think in 2019, had very small reductions in the food sales tax, not the full food sales tax off. And yeah, the, the typical metaphor in the legislature for a tax bill is a Christmas tree. Uh, and you add more and more ornaments on it, and sometimes it collapses of its own weight. The tree tips over and uh, the lights smash and the house burns down. Or um, in some cases, it manages to stand upright. And um, so she argued that she wants a clean bill. Of course, 
she's not in the position of having to decide whether to sign or veto it in that situation. But if Republicans tie it to a bunch of income tax reductions that she does not support, then she's got a tough decision to make. Well, especially because this is now this is now an issue. In some ways, it's kind of at this point one of the biggest issues in the governor's race. So Republicans will, I think, waste no opportunity in pointing out that she vetoed something that she has clearly made a a major. Well, and they're already doing that, suggesting she's a hypocrite because of her vetoes of the other tax bills with uh, a sales tax component involving groceries. But people need to understand that those bills had a lot of other stuff, particularly income tax cuts in them that she argued at the time. And actually this year, uh, I'm sorry, last year, we're in 2022, um, that would cause serious harm to the state's finances. Now, that argument looks a little different with this ongoing surge in tax collections and the uh, the 3.8, on track to be $3.9 billion in cash reserves that the state is expected to have at the end of June 2023, the end of the 2023 fiscal year. So, um so it's kind of hard to argue that this or some other tax cut individually would cause a, a collapse of the state finances. But, of course, if you start getting everything together, then you're going to have to run the, the legislature is going to have to run the numbers. Well, I think now we're moving a bit into the, the broader discussion of, of the state budget and and kind of the the second part to the governor's state of the state address is always the release of her budget proposal, which comes the next day. Uh, it is, there's a lot there to discuss. I think though it's, uh, I was, you know, my first year in covering the legislature was last year and her budget last year had a lot of recycled policies that just didn't go anywhere in the past. And this one has a fair amount of new things, things that I think will be popular even with Republicans and represents a fairly good, uh, a fairly politically anyway, uh, a budget that can, that has some promise. Well, in terms of funding state government, um, there's the full increase, at least according to the Kansas Supreme Court rulings, full increase for public schools in terms of funding. There's extra money for higher education with the goal of freezing college tuition for another year. There are pay raises for state employees, 5%. That, in the context of what we've seen the last 20 years, that's a pretty good pay raise for state employees. Now, they might argue differently given how their pay matches up in the private sector and how they've not gotten raises and health insurance costs have gone up. But in terms of what they've been able to get from the legislature over the past two decades, that's a good increase. And there's all kind of stuff in the budget where she's making, uh, she's putting extra money in to, to do things. And then there's her proposal to take those cash reserves and use them. One of the uses is the $250 rebate, income tax rebate for uh, Kansas residents who filed income tax returns last year. Um, and then 
you know, her proposal is to pay off, I think, 330 plus million dollars in bonds early uh, of use it to renovate the docking state office building across the street from the Capitol in Topeka and to build the new uh, state health department lab, things that you would normally issue bonds for just use this money and save the interest costs so there's a lot of there's a long list of ideas and then the budget itself the annual budget is probably it, it, it at least on the surface it looks some in the context of uh, debates over the budget in the past looks sig- fairly generous no i i have a rebate question sure the so the $250 rebate to taxpayers, Republicans are, have claimed that the governor is essentially recycling a proposal that they had last year, uh, but doing it smaller. But they're also arguing that she's doing this to buy votes, which seems like a contradictory position to me of, you're stealing our idea, but we also don't like the idea. Well, the the idea of a rebate has come up before in the in in the hoary mists of time uh, when the state was doing really well and economically in the nineteen ninety eight nineteen ninety nine period, right toward the end of the economic boom under Bill Clinton, and and you know there was some discussion about whether we were post-economic cycle, where whether that boom and bust economic cycle had been abolished and the growth was just going to go on forever. And Kansas had more tax revenue and, and Bill Graves was under a lot, a lot of pressure to do tax cuts from conservatives in 1998. And so he did them. Uh, there was some discussion of doing uh, an income tax rebate, but the thought was, first of all, there was an administrative cost. And second of all, uh, a lot of the Republicans in the legislature, the debate was whether it was gimmicky, um, whether, you know, you were, it was just a one-time gimmick and would you be better off to you know, cut income tax rates. So they did do some adjusting of income tax rates. They decreased the property tax levy that funds the statewide property tax levy that funds schools. And interestingly enough, the legislature suspended the tax that employers pay to finance unemployment benefits uh, for a couple of years at least. And um, so these these debates tend to come around. And, you know, Derek Schmidt issued a statement that suggested and Republicans were echoing this when they were looking at the governor's budget proposal that, you know, these big cash surpluses could melt away. You know, the economy could go south. Uh, You know, in 2008, we thought we were going to have all this revenue and then the bubble burst and it vanished a lot of it vanished and then there was the great recession so and and the fact is the fact is is that the kansas budget revenues tend to go in regular cycles of somewhere between five to seven years up and down sometimes it's a little shorter sometimes it's a little longer based on what the economy is but 
if you're in an up cycle, sooner or later you will get in a down cycle. And the temptation is because you're you're facing an election in immediately or in two years, the temptation of everybody in any party anywhere is to spend down those balances to do things that will make people happy, that will appeal to voters and make voters happy. I mean, these folks are in politics. Um, you get elected by doing things voters like. So the the idea that she's doing this in effect to, as the suggestion, to bribe voters, well, there is a political element here of an appeal to voters. Republicans think it's a... a Republicans think it's a problematic move. I think some of them might even use the word cynical because, of course, the rebate checks would arrive in the fall (laughs) right before the general election. And, you know, in some ways, she's borrowing a page out of uh, former President Trump's book where the coronavirus relief packages had uh, relief payments to directly to income taxpayers and you got a piece of paper or even in some cases the checks had the 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 president's names on them so that you would get i mean the idea was you would associate that with him well Um, and jason this is another thing i know you've reported on there's a segment of republicans that want to we've we've talked about constitutional amendments on this podcast before but there are some republicans who just want to restrict the ability to tax and spend even further and and really start to pare back what legislators can do. Now, we, we don't have a clear idea of what kind of policy they would want to see, but one of the interim committees chaired by Senator Karen Tyson uh, had a presentation on tax and expenditure limitations that could be a statutory or constitutional change that limits how much the state can spend or how much revenue the state can bring in ironically one of the if you brought in too much in revenue you might have to give the money back in rebates so it kind of comes full circle there well and and and, you know there are many ways to do that i mean i think missouri has uh, uh, a some requirements about big enough tax increases being put to a public vote and having to pass with a certain uh, amount. Um, you can do you can do a legislative supermajority requirement. A tax increase doesn't pass unless it gets 60 percent or two-thirds of, of the legislature to sign off. Um, you know, the upside of those things is if you're conservative, you're making it much you're making it harder to pass a tax increase or to raise spending. The downside is you can get into situations where the legislature blocks up over a budget or a tax policy and you're sitting with a shortfall and and you you can't get something with enough votes to pass. I mean, you know, after after the start of the so-called brownback tax experiment, um, it happened under Sam Brownback, a Republican governor. You know, 
starting in 2012, big income tax cuts, kind of a, the idea was the march to zero uh, on income taxes. Well, starting maybe a year, year and a half later, the state started having these really big budget shortfalls, persistent budget shortfalls. And the and and it also had the some of the long the the longest legislative sessions ever in 2015 and 2017 and it was all trying to solve budget stuff and just getting enough republican lawmakers on board to get something passed by a bare majority and you know there was one point i one of those years i think it was 2015 where you know there was a real concern that there wouldn't be a budget in time and you know IOUs people wouldn't get paid all of that stuff that that it happened for example in Illinois when they couldn't get a, a a budget for several years because they had conflict between a democratic legislature and a republican governor well and you're talking about not having having a shortfall, having not enough money, but I think we're about to see the the downsides when you do oh, have I, way too much money or way way more money than you've had in recent years. And yeah, it's I, a I mean, tough political dynamic. There, there will be veteran legislators who will argue that in terms of getting something done and agreed upon, it's actually worse to have this kind of surplus because, of course. Lots of groups, lots of lawmakers, they all have ideas how to spend it and what to do with it. And you you get into situations where, for example, you know, after the state rebounded from economic dislocations around the time of 9-11 and revenues came back, people were like, well, why aren't you helping us out, you know, now that revenues are back? Um and, and so you would get into some discussions like that. And there are Republicans, Derek Schmidt, the presumed Republican nominee for governor, the attorney general, is talking about putting a billion dollars of that surplus revenue into capers to shore it up and, and pay off bonds that capers issued to raise cash to, to shore up the pension fund. Uh, so that's out there. And doing that would save money long term. Sure, I I think his uh, one billion dollar proposal when Capers ran the numbers it was going to save a few hundred million dollars in the long run. Well, and and once you get the pension fund to equilibrium, it, it the state has been ramping up the payments to shore it up. But once you get it to equilibrium, those payments fall off and and dramatically. So in in theory, the faster you can do that, arguably, the faster those payments fall off and the more stable the pension fund is. And of course, the unfunded liability there is like $5 billion. Well, it used to be twice that. So but we still might need a little more... Uh, surplus to pay it all off in one fell swoop but um and then there's another another component in this we're getting into the really not very sexy uh spending proposals but 
putting money in the rainy day fund, which interestingly enough in Kansas didn't exist until 2016. We're one of the last states to get a rainy well, day and the, fund. And the state always relied on um, uh, the end, what it called the ending balance in its main bank account, the state general fund. Uh, I, I will say here that I, not that anybody cares what I think. I don't like the way Kansas budgets never have this notion that you're only going to worry about nine billion out of twenty-two or twenty-three billion because that's the state general fund. Uh, I'm an all funds guy, always have been. It and, annoys the people I deal with. Well, and, and all funds accounts not just for the general fund, the which federal if, if, funds, the lottery proceeds, the tuition collected at colleges. Every little fee that state government imposes, the sales tax that goes into the highway fund. And, and the general fund, we should be clear, mostly it is the piggy bank that when you pay taxes. It's like taxes, your checking account, yeah. basically. So the state, you know, you uh, an ordinary family might have a checking account. They'd have a savings account. They might have an emergency fund. They might have a college fund over here. They might have plausibly five or six different accounts a, a well, secret the state fund, has dozens a secret fund to buy a ferrari and run off with your secretary the state has some of those too yeah, not quite i i don't know about the ferrari fund uh andrew um maybe the toyota camry fund perhaps <laughs> i think that's that's about the where the state gets no, not not to knock off toyota camrys they're a they're a good car well I drive a Hyundai right now, so... (laughs) I don't know that this is great radio. Listen to this. Anyway... (laughs) Cars we drive. (laughs) Detroit will be calling us, right? If if you're interested in sponsoring Chillin' in the Statehouse, please direct your inquiries to the Topeka Capital Journal. We could just turn this into a podcast on classic Detroit muscle cars, couldn't we? Yeah, I think they would have a very different audience. Probably a bigger audience. I must say, my first car was a 1970 two-door Chevy Impala. It was a boat. Gannett happens to own the Detroit newspaper, so... Yeah, that's true. Well, there you go, bringing it back full circle. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. uh, $600 million in the rainy day fund. That's nothing to sneeze at because currently we have... Zero. Yes. Uh, You have more money in your wallet than the state of Kansas has in the rainy day fund. Yes. It was a rainy day fund on paper. Like, it exists, but, you know, not really. And so that that would be a a significant change because the state had always relied on the up and down of the balances in the general fund to to carry it. And you know when the revenues started dip and grow more slowly, those balances got eaten away. Now, uh, for those listening, budget issues don't usually get ironed out until late in the session, right? right. I. Would food sales tax be the one plausible area that could happen within the next few weeks? Democrats want it to. It plausibly could, but if you're a legislator and you want something and you think that's going to pass, your incentive is to slow it down so that's still out there and people have to deal with you and work with you to persuade you to vote for that bill. Uh, It allows for horse trading. That would be 
Plus, in addition to that, Republicans want to look at a broader array of tax proposals. We mentioned lowering the sales tax generally. Something the Kansas Chamber yes, wants they, to do. The Kansas Chamber would like to do that. And so that idea started to bubble up with Republican leaders. There's a lot of interest still in income tax changes, um, even after the bill they enacted over the governor's veto last year. So that's that's probably out there. It's and a then taxation on retirement accounts, yes. which is a big thing for conservatives because they say that senior citizens are fleeing which, the state. Which, which is uh, not an endorsement of any proposal, of course, but it's an issue that seems to be more interesting to me as I get closer <laughs> to retirement. Um, but yeah, it's suddenly suddenly that's not a that's not a theoretical thing. But the the argument is about people being on fixed incomes and and all of that versus, you know, where do you set the threshold? I mean, there are folks who get Social Security who are not that bad off. I mean, you can... And not to completely circle back to it being an election year, but the people who would benefit from such a bill likely are more likely to vote. Yes. Everything circles back to politics in the end. Maybe that's what we should call this podcast. Everything is political. I I thought you were going to say the circle of politics with like a Lion King. The circle of politics. (laughs) Could we get Elton John to write the theme? I'm thinking that's going to be a no, but maybe if the podcast was about Detroit muscle cars, we would have a better look. Yes. (laughs) If we could just get the Mufasa voice. James Earl Jones. Yes. Yes. If he can narrate it. I'm not if, sure if that's James, any lower if, of an ask than Elton John doing the theme James, song. <laughs> James Earl Jones is listening to the podcast. We, we might need the state surplus to be able to afford their services. Yes. That's true. And that's money, I will say, Gannett, Kansas does not have. Um, yes. You know, a lot here to digest, but any any last thoughts before we wrap up on where we are headed for a long, long session? Well... Um, there are going to be a lot of interesting issues discussed. Um, of course, the one we haven't touched on is redistricting, or as I like to call it, Mapzilla. Um, I, and yes, the reference to Godzilla is an intentional. Sometimes the monster stomps all over Topeka and spews radioactive breath and sometimes it's the friendly kid friendly godzilla with the of the 70s anyway you have to have seen a lot of godzilla movies to get the references there but that's gonna be an interesting one (laughs) what i don't think i knew there was more than one oh my goodness jason there are probably several dozen going back to the first one in 1954 Redistricting. <laughs> Redistricting. Really quickly. I mean, we could do a whole podcast, and we probably will do a whole podcast probably next week after we get maps next week. Or I guess this week, if you're listening to this uh, yes. Monday or Tuesday. Um, but really quickly, there, uh, the third congressional district, not enough people, or too many people, the first congressional district, not enough people. The third congressional district is around Kansas City. The first congressional district is basically everything west of Manhattan until you get to Colorado. Uh, and 
there's going to need to be some changes, but how aggressive those changes are well, depends and, and, on Republicans' desire to and mess with Sharice Davids. And unfortunately, we're doing audio, so you can't see the hand movement I'm about to do. My favorite hand movement. It would there, Ten years ago, they discussed proposals to bring the first district across the northern couple of tiers of counties and then swing down and hook kind of like the beak of the Seattle Seahawks logo into Wyandotte County and take Wyandotte County and its Democratic voters and pull them into the first district where they would they would be in a district with liberal and garden city and goodland which goodland. is six hours away and goodland and and with uh lots and lots of republican voters some cows we like cows yes um something to watch is in the, in the coming weeks i think uh well not i think i know <laughs> it yes. will be it will be a a hotly debated issue uh to follow that and everything else going on under the dome of the Kansas State House, you can go follow cjonline.com. That's the Topeka Capital Journal's website. Or you can find our social media presence on Twitter at cjonline, Facebook, Instagram. I think we have a TikTok that we have now, but doesn't wow. have anything on it. Uh, maybe some developments there. But if they want to find you all on Twitter or elsewhere, uh, John, where can they track you down? Well, uh, on Twitter at APJD, as in David, Hannah. Um, and then online, www.apnews.com backslash Kansas. Jason, how about you? At Jason underscore Tid, T-I-D-D. And you don't have a TikTok, right? I do have a TikTok. Oh. With, it, it, it's populated by, I think, four or five videos. Um, Andrew, most of them I are have of a Chihuahua. TikTok, okay. Well, the dog content, though, is a big win. It is. Yes. Uh, I don't have a TikTok, but you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And you can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are found think spotify apple Podcasts, google play uh or if you're just not really feeling like opening up another app we know you're going to be at cjonline.com anyway reading all of our written work and you can find the podcast there whenever we have new episodes oh busy week i think, busy week. I think it's time for a nap you get a nice three day long nap that's true <laughs> unless news breaks over the weekend in which case we will be very sad um, we thank you all for listening we thank you all for reading we hope you have a great safe weekend safe week and we will see you back out here same time same place next week have a good one y'all <laughs>